Welcome to the Learning Outside the Lines podcast. I'm Ann Ryan, your host, homeschool mom of four and passionate about education and helping our children learn best. In today's episode, we're going to talk about a pretty complex issue, and that is how to homeschool. How do I homeschool in my state or how do I homeschool in my local area? Now, first of all, homeschooling is legal in all states in some fashion. And I say in some fashion because some states have different language that may not actually identify homeschooling as a legal option, such as California. In California, specifically, they operate as their own private school. However, it's still homeschool in different words. So homeschooling is legal in all states. Unfortunately, homeschooling is not legal in all countries, sadly. So if you are in another country, you definitely need to make sure to check on specific laws or rules in your country. First off, each state has different laws and requirements. So you definitely need to check into those specifically. And I encourage you to check your local state groups versus checking on clearinghouse kinds of groups that you may find online that may have a list of all the different states and their requirements. And I only say that because usually state groups are a little more up-to-date and more accurate with that kind of information. There may be bills that are introduced that change the laws, and some of those clearinghouse groups or clearinghouse websites may not have the most up-to-date information. It's certainly a good resource. I'm just saying, if at all possible, always rely first on your local state group. Most states have some kind of local state organization. You may have more than one state organization. I know there are a lot of states that have usually one uh, very inclusive or perhaps a secular group, and then another group that may be a Christian-based or another religious kind of group. And that's great because states need all the help they can get. They need all the supports they can get. And if they have two groups that can meet all the needs of all their members, that's wonderful. So just make sure that you check on your local state's laws. Now, one of the things people say is, how do I find this out? Google is your friend. Whatever search engine you would like to use, just search your state. Let's say you live in Iowa, just Google Iowa homeschool laws, and you're going to get, most likely, your state group is going to pop up at the top or within the top few, and it will show you a link to go to to find out all the local laws and all the specific information that you need. You can certainly always check on Facebook. I know a lot of people are on Facebook now. You can check Facebook also for local homeschool groups because I know that there are a lot out there and they can be extremely helpful for sending you directly to links with all the current laws and rules and regulations for your state. Now, when you do find the laws and and when you do read the language for the laws, It can be very intimidating, and it may sound like, no way, there's no way I can do this, I don't understand all the requirements. And you have to remember that these laws are written in legalese. They are written for political uh, bills and laws, and they can be usually interpreted down to very simple rules. I know when I lived in Washington State, the laws sounded very complex, But when it boiled right down to it, really, it was very easy. All you had to do was 
sign off on the fact that you were homeschooling and agree to do an end of the year assessment. But the beautiful thing about that was you could do the assessment in whatever fashion that was, whether that was a test or a portfolio, and you could keep that. It didn't go anywhere. It didn't go to the district. It didn't go to the state. You took the end of the year assessment, but it was something that was for your knowledge only. So I remember people being intimidated by that, but then when they found out, oh, those results don't go anywhere, they're just for my own knowledge, then that becomes not so scary. But that's one of the reasons why it's good to find your local state groups, because they can often boil down all that legalese and all that language down into the basic fundamental requirements that you have for each state, and they're usually much easier than what they sound in the original verbiage. Now, again, each state has very specific requirements and very specific laws. However, most of the categories of homeschooling, most of them fall under a few general categories. Now, again, there's going to be some nuances that are a little bit different, but in general, they're going to fall into these basic categories. One, being an independent homeschooler. Two, working with a charter. Three, a district program through your local school district. Four, a state oversight kind of law, but you still work independently. And then lastly, an independent study kind of program through your local school district. Now again, these categories will be called something different in your own state, but these are kind of the general categories that most homeschool laws are going to fall under. So I'm going to go over briefly each one. And again, I say briefly just because each state has their different rules and requirements that are going to go along with these categories. And they'll all have a few other little extra things that are going to be individual to that state. And there is a lot of information, obviously, on each of these categories. So again, I'm just going over a very brief overview of each one just to give you an idea of them and what it might mean if that's the kind of category that is available in your state. Now, if you have a state that has very few homeschool laws or no homeschool laws, then you're lucky and you are usually an independent homeschooler. And that means you don't have to let anyone know that you're homeschooling. You don't have to report to the state. You don't have to report to your local school district. You are just an independent homeschooler. No one tells you what to do. You don't have to follow any specific rules, and you're on your own. And that is wonderful. Some states may have some rules that you have to report to them that you're homeschooling, but that's all you need to do. You're still categorized as an independent homeschooler because you may have to inform them, but you don't have to abide by any specific rules or standards or requirements. Next is a charter school. Now, when I say charter, that can mean some different things for different people. And in this instance, I'm talking more about state charter independent programs that I know are available in many states. They're not available in all states, but they're available in many states. And I think that that's um, something that's growing um, as well as having some controversy. But at any rate, a charter school is a charter independent study. I'm not trying to confuse this with charter schools that are you know, full-time bricks and mortar kinds of schools that may be private or public. That is kind of a different category. But for homeschool charters, an independent study charter, this is something that some people have heard of K-12. That is a 
online charter school. And that's one way of using um, an online charter. But charters are pretty broad in what they offer. So in my experience, an independent charter, you sign up with them, you are technically a public school student. Even though you call yourself homeschooling, which is perfectly fine, you are still, according to the uh, state, you are signed up with an independent study charter. Therefore, you are a student, a public school student in their uh, roster, so to speak. You're counted as a public school student. And I only say that because some people are very uh, passionate about the fact that they do not want to be you know, part of the public school system. And so I'm, I'm, that's why I'm sharing that. So a charter, independent study charter, they will match you usually with some kind of supervising teacher, whatever that's called, or a, some kind of staff person that you have to report to. And you have to meet with them in some different periodic way. You may have to meet with them monthly. You may have to meet with them quarterly. You may have to meet with them once a semester, once a year. In some fashion, you have to meet with them. And that may be in person. That may be online. That may be via phone, What, whatever. It's different for um, different charters. Now, sometimes they actually have money that you can spend. And I'm not saying they're going to give you a check or anything like that, but they have vendors that they use. So let's say you want to use a certain curriculum and that vendor is one of their approved vendors on their list. You work with your staff person, whatever, whoever you're assigned, and you say, I want this curriculum. And they have a pot of money assigned to you because like I said, you're part of the state, you're considered a public school student. So they get money for you. Usually that's fairly small, anywhere from a couple hundred dollars to a couple thousand dollars. And you say, I want this curriculum that's a secular curriculum. Remember, if it's a public school, they're not going to be buying any religious materials. But they will pay for that curriculum for you. So they would buy the curriculum. Let's say it was $100. They would buy the curriculum and then they would give that to you. And then you would use that while you were a student your child was a student with that charter. And if it's a consumable kind of thing, like a workbook, then you use it and you don't have to give it back. But if it was something like a textbook that you didn't write in when you were done with it, typically you would give it back to them. Because again, it's part of the public school textbooks, just like a child would use a textbook in a classroom, they would give it back at the end of the year. Now, there are also online charters where a student would just do the program online. And because you're signed up with the charter, you don't pay for it. It's free because the state is basically paying for you to do the online program, such as K-12. I just bring that up because some people are familiar with that. I don't advocate for that program in any way. But the online programs are pretty popular just because the parents know that they are still following a grade level model. So they are still doing, you know, all third grade level work for all the different subjects. And a lot of parents like that. However, that's also the downside, because sometimes parents may think their child is, you know, at a third grade level for math, but only at a second grade level for language arts. So sometimes a charter can accommodate those kinds of things. And you can use multiple levels in a program and sometimes not. Again, there is way more information out there about charters, but that's just kind of a basic overview of charters and 
we can maybe even talk more about that in another episode by itself because it's such a huge growing kind of um, possibility for alternatives to regular classroom school and for homeschooling. Some areas will have district programs that help homeschoolers. I was specifically involved with one of these programs when I lived in Iowa. And basically, you signed up with the district and they provided you with a supervising teacher that was available to you as a resource. And you met with them periodically. I think it was quarterly. You met with them. And they basically, um, you didn't get... um, direct funding from the school district. However, the school district offered uh, supplemental classes. So they actually had a homeschool building and you could sign up for these extra classes. They might be a writing class. They might be a science class. They might be a variety of classes. And you could sign up for those and they were free because again, the district was getting money for you from the state and you were part of this program. So you would go, you take the classes And um, at the end of the year, you still had to do some kind of state testing, just like uh, school students did in the schools. And that was how, you know, they measured progress or lack of. So that's another thing that I know some states do is a program where you're still homeschooling and doing most of the things on your own, but the district has some kind of support in place. And you do sign up again as a student in some fashion with the school district but you're still doing mostly things on your own, but they're providing some supports for you. I know another district program in California, another state, would be the fact that they also have specific classes for you to take. So if you sign up for their program through their district, then you are required to attend certain classes through them. So they're, they might have two days a week, let's say, Tuesday and Thursdays, and your child goes from nine to two, and they take a specific uh, set of classes, maybe math, science, language arts, whatever it might be. And they, again, pay for the classes. You don't get money to use on anything else, but they're paying for all these classes, and you homeschool them the other days, like uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So again, that's just another, another possibility. The other category is that you still are reporting to the state. So the state knows that you're homeschooling, but you are still independent. You're still kind of on your own. And they might have a few requirements for you in whatever those might be, but they're pretty minimal. For example, in Washington State, you could uh, register as a homeschooler, but at the end of the year, you had to test, but the test was only for your knowledge. So you had to do some kind of of end-of-the-year assessment that could be a portfolio or a standardized test, and that information stayed with you. So even though you were agreeing with the state that, yes, I'm homeschooling my child, and yes, at the end of the year I'll do assessment because that was their rule, um, and I believe they may have had some criteria like um, included in your homeschool curriculum, you will be doing, you know, math, history, language arts, and science, like just the basic subjects. But again, there's no oversight there. You're not meeting with anyone. You're not sending any information to anyone. You're just letting them know. So basically, they have a record of you that you're homeschooling, but there really is no oversight. And lastly, would be independent study through your local school. So this I have been familiar with 
usually from a health kind of perspective, like if a child is ill or has some uh, major allergies or immunity kinds of issues that they just can't attend school, but they still want to do the same work, sometimes schools will work with you and they basically give you all the textbooks. They give you all the textbooks that they would be using in this, in that grade, in that class, and you would just follow along at home. They may, they may or may not give you like more uh, specific lesson plans. That's just going to depend on the school. But you're doing the same things that they are. You're doing the same tests. You're doing the same material. And at the end of the year, you're still getting grades from the school. So that's a very uh, specific kind of alternative that you're still a public school student, but you're just basically doing the work at home. Now, again, there are lots of other alternatives. There are lots of other ways. And those are just kind of a general guideline for the different categories. But like I said, there's definitely uh, different nuances and different requirements that can be within those categories because every state has all kinds of different options. So what do you do with that information? What do you do when you find out this is the requirements for my state? I've kind of understand what they are, what it actually means once I interpret it and get out of all the different language. So then you need to look at are whatever those requirements are, will those work for you? Are you able to do whatever the requirements are? And do you think your child is able to do whatever those requirements are? Usually there is some flexibility that you can make it work for you, but you still have to decide if it will work for your family and for your child and whether or not it will work within your schedule as far as if you're working full-time or part-time or not at all and if you have other children and all those other things to think about. So you need to decide if whatever the requirements are for your state will work for you and if it will fit in with your child's learning style or their learning needs, and if you think it might be the best option for your child. I know this step can be a little bit overwhelming trying to find out all the rules and the regulations, but really once you hook up with someone that is familiar with the information for your state, it becomes a lot easier. So don't be intimidated, don't be scared. It really is possible, and it's usually not nearly as intimidating as it seems at first. So I just wanna make sure that I encourage you to push through that fear and to really have some confidence that it's possible and that you're doing it because it's best for your child. So thanks again for listening today. I know this was a little bit longer information, but I wanna make sure that I just hit all the basic categories so you're familiar with what some of the options were. I hope that you'll Join me on the Facebook page at Learning Outside the Lines podcast for announcements and some other resources, and please subscribe to the podcast so you'll know when the next episode is released. Until next time, don't be afraid to go outside the lines.